Dick Fane coming up shortly and a big show today. We've got uh, Adam Pengilly, Damien Cooks, South's hooker, Xavier Cooks as well. Looking forward to speaking to the Sydney King star in the NBL MVP. Game three, Kudos Bank Arena, Friday night against the Breakers. And of course, Cooks having uh, secured that deal over in the NBA. Two years with the Washington Wizards. So he'll head there after the NBL Championship Series. We'll speak to Tilly McDonnell. Giants netball defender, super netball starts next weekend. And uh, Brad Davidson, Dean Bulldog Richie, also Tasha Gale, International Women's Day. And, uh, well, what a legacy that Tasha Gale has left, a star in the 90s, former Australian Jillaroos and New South Wales captain. So that's all still to come on the show this morning. And uh, just uh, as far as the teams that were announced yesterday, some of the big inclusions. Well, for the Broncos, they've got Reese Walsh back at the club and he's in at fullback for their derby against the Cowboys. And the Roosters have Joey Manu back in the centres with Joseph Swali. He still know Gerald Rhea Hargreaves and Victor Radley and Brandon Smith will have to pass concussion protocols ahead of their match against the Warriors this weekend. But Manu... Oh, He'll get, give them some spark that they were just bizarrely missing there on Sunday at Suncorp against the Dolphins, Loz. Yeah, having him back will certainly help. But I, I think Jared Weir Hargreaves is the guy that they miss most because he gives that pack uh, the aggression um, and he's their forward leader. And when he's in that team, um, there's a harder edge to them and, and they feed off his energy. Um, and he always you know, tries to attack the big dog in the opposition team. I think they're lucky they're playing the Warriors this week. I I, I don't know what the start is, but I, I wouldn't have a problem if it's double figures backing the Warriors with the start. Um, you know, the Roosters, they weren't great last weekend. I'm expecting a really strong performance from them this week. But when you look at their forward pack, uh, they've still got a few out. Um, you know, you've got Tupanua, you've got Angus Crichton, who are the starting back rowers. You've got Wirahar Grease. I think Radley's been named, but I don't know whether he'll play. Oh, you think he wouldn't. So, you know, if he's mm. missing, they're, they're losing a lot of punch in the middle. Um, so this will be a tough game for the Roosters. 14 and a half. Well, I, that's, that's too big a start. That's a big it? start. I, I know the Roosters are at home. It's a three o'clock kickoff and it's the Warriors. Um, but, oh, yeah, if, if, if Radley's not there, I'd be all over the Warriors with 14 and a half start. I think the Roosters will get the job done. But with the start, that would be interesting, uh, interested in backing the Warriors. Hello, Dick. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. And lots going on as far as free agency, etc. in the NFL. And uh, your reaction to the comeback player of the year, Geno Smith, quarterback there, signing a three-year extension at the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I was just uh, joking with Jono off the air that uh, that our three three weeks that we get every February where not much uh, happens in American sports is most definitely over. When the calendar turns to March, it's been a, it's been a crazy week. And uh, yeah, we'll start with Geno Smith. Uh, rarely do you get a deal in football or in any sport really where a fan can legitimately look at it and say that was well done by the player and that was well done by the team. And because usually the opinion is, man, that, that player made way too much money or that, uh, that player did not do a good job and he got stuck with a bad contract. And, and uh, for, for what Geno Smith has done, which is really play about two-thirds of a, an outstanding season for the Seahawks, and then he kind of tailed off towards the end but did, did bounce back in the playoffs, have a pretty good game against San Francisco, 
He just didn't have a long legacy of playing well because he's been on the bench most of his career. And when he did start at the beginning of his career, uh, he didn't do anything for the Jets. So he didn't have a lot of leverage to make big, big time money. But the Seahawks did reward him nicely. He's going to make about... $70 $70 million, $75 million over the first two years of his contract. The Seahawks can get out of it uh, pretty easily after one year. We're still waiting to see all the exact financials from it. It was originally reported as a three-year, $105 million contract. But you know how agents do. It doesn't matter what con- uh, country we're in. Agents will throw out bigger numbers than are actually <laughs> correct uh, just so Twitter jumps on those. But uh, the actual deal is going to be more like a two-year, 70 to $75 million deal, which I think uh, is very good for both sides. Well, we know that Derek Carr is going to the Saints. Is that going to be a good fit? I think it will. Uh, it was funny seeing Michael Thomas, their number one wide receiver, actually number two wide receiver now behind uh, Chris Olave. But Michael uh, Michael Thomas just uh, – put uh, praying hands up on Twitter and said, thank you, Jesus. I think he's tired of the Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston horror show throwing footballs mm-hmm. down in uh, down in New Orleans. I've always been a fan of Derek Carr. Um, I think he's been one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the NFL because nobody really uh, talks about Derek Carr when they talk about the truly – he's not a truly great quarterback, but I think he's a good to very good quarterback in the NFL, and, and I think this is a good length of time. It's going to be about three years, $100 million, which is the actual value of the contract. It was reported just kind of like Geno's was, reported inflated. It was reported as a four-year, $150 million deal, but the Saints can easily get out of it after three seasons. So uh, I think it's a good fit for, for both, and what it does in that division, guys, because that – that was the division without a quarterback. I mean, not one of the four teams had a good quarterback until yesterday, and now the Saints have one. So while I wouldn't make the Saints the prohibitive favorite, uh, I certainly would make them the favorite right now until some other team in that division can show me that they're going to have a, a reasonable option at quarterback going into the year. What's the latest with Aaron Rodgers, buddy? Man, it, it, things have really taken off really in the last like three or four hours. Um, we saw the first report was that uh, Aaron, I think it was late last night, ESPN reported that uh, Aaron Rodgers was talking to the Jets. Well, that leads the obvious question. Well, he's under contract with the Packers. How can he be talking to the Jets unless A, it's tampering or B, the Packers have given him permission to talk to the Jets. Now it's just come out in the last hour or so that the Packers did, in fact, give Aaron Rodgers permission to talk to the Jets. So, man, we it really looks like we're headed toward a Packer-Jet trade right now for Aaron Rodgers. It's all wow. going to it, it's all going to de- be determined by how much the Jets are willing to give up for Aaron Rodgers. And and because he's still under contract with the Packers, the Packers just aren't going to give him away for nothing. But I do think the Packers are very tired of Aaron Rodgers. And I think they are intrigued by what Jordan Love can bring their football team. And they're ready to kind of start over. So I think any reasonable package for Aaron Rodgers will be accepted. Um, but the Jets can't lowball. Uh, the Packers or else it's going to look bad on the Jets side and and the Packers are just going to hang on to Aaron Rodgers and either try to find another trade partner or play him for one more year. Is Lamar Jackson going to be the Baltimore Ravens quarterback next season in your opinion? Oh man, I think they're going to I think they're going to franchise him. 
I don't think they want to give him a long-term contract. And as I've mentioned before to you guys numerous times, I don't think they should give him a long-term contract, especially for the type of money that he's looking for. I mean, he's looking for Deshaun Watson type money. He's looking for guaranteed dollars. And, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson is the only quarterback to be given a fully guaranteed contract. And every other team in the NFL is looking at that deal and saying, there is no way in heck we are going to give anybody a fully guaranteed contract. The Browns are idiots for giving Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed contract. So Lamar can want it all he wants. But Lamar Jackson's numbers have declined. He is starting the backside of his career because he is a quarterback, even though he's not old, he is a quarterback that really relies on athleticism much more than accuracy. And so I think they franchise him. I think maybe they try to continue. When you franchise somebody, and you have to do it really um, in the next hour or so before the deadline, if they franchise him, then they have a couple more months that they can work out a deal with him. So they guarantee a contract for one year by franchising him at $32.5 million dollars. And it extends the life of when they can uh, negotiate a long-term deal. But another team can come in, if they do franchise, another team can come in, offer two first-round draft picks for Lamar Jackson. And if Baltimore approves that, then they would be able to trade him for those two first-round draft picks. I think they'd like to do that and start over at quarterback and get one of these young stud quarterbacks that are in this year's draft. But uh, yeah, that's that maybe it's not as dire a situation as the Aaron Rodgers green Bay thing is, but I think, I think Lamar Jackson's kind of wearing out his welcome in Baltimore, just like Aaron Rodgers is wearing out his welcome in green Bay. Now, Dick, I see, keep seeing Tom Brady linked to teams, even though he's retired for the second time. But uh, what, the Miami Dolphins, the San Francisco 49ers? I mean, what are the chances, realistically? Well, there's a lot of smoke out there. And Tom Brady, just in the last hour, has a lot has happened on Twitter in the last hour. I'm glad I was on my phone and checking these things out because I wouldn't be able to give you very good reports if I've been off my phone all morning long. But uh, Tom Brady, just in the last hour, tweeted out, uh, you know, if you think uh, if you think I'm coming back, you've never adopted a two month old kitten for your daughter, basically saying I don't have I don't have time to play NFL football because I've just adopted a new kitten kitten for my uh, for my daughter. It's, you know, Tom Brady's jovial way of saying I'm not coming back, although every time he's been asked straight up, he was just on a, a national show on Fox last week. Uh, you know, when he's at, been asked straight up, are you retiring? he kind of gives a wishy-washy answer. And so I think as long as he gives wishy-washy answers, mm. people are going to speculate because there's always Surely a team that's going to want Tom done. Brady. Surely. Oh, mate, it's you his, second, it's, well, it's his second retirement in 12 months. Yeah. He's got to be done. Yeah, Brett Favre, uh, Brett Favre, I think, set the all-time record, though. I mean, I, I swear Brett Favre retired like four times. <laughs> so maybe Tom Brady is going to try to break Brett Favre's record. <laughs> now, Dick, what is it with yeah. basketballers and guns in strip clubs? <laughs> oh, man, John Morant. I mean, are you kidding me, man? You have got the entire world wrapped around your finger. You are the most exciting player in the league. You are dynamic. You are young. You are marketable. You, I mean, everybody would love to have the career trajectory that John Morant has. And he goes and does something stupid like 
taking a gun into a strip club or a nightclub and filming it on Instagram, like celebrating it, throwing it around in front of his phone. And it's, I just don't understand what he's doing. And he has got to straighten this out. And we know that the level of talent that someone has is directly proportional to the amount of chances they get in a professional sports league. So John Morant's going to get a ton of chances because he is supremely talented, but he is rock walking down the wrong path right now. And hopefully he gets the right people around him to give him the type of advice and say, listen, this is your last controversy, man. You shut up, you play basketball and you'd be a good person from here on out because you could make, I mean, you could make over a billion dollars over the next 10 to 12 years. If you play your cards right, you could make over a billion dollars in endorsements and salary from the NBA. So just knock it off, man. Something like this, though, Dick, does that affect his future earnings or will people tend to look past this and go, well, that was a mistake? It all depends on what the next year or two looks like for John Moran. I mean, I think we're, we are quick to forget. We are quick to forgive. If John Morant is not in the news for anything other than his basketball over the next year, we're, we're all going to forget about that Instagram post. But if this is a pattern and continues to be a pattern, then yes, the, the endorsements will go first. I think teams will still, you know, as long as he's not in jail, I mean, I think teams will still want John Morant and still pay John Morant to be a basketball player but the endorsements will certainly suffer. Dick, where are the Lakers at, buddy, without LeBron, and how long is he out for? Well, you know, the, the, the length we don't quite know. But we talked last week, we, we, we supposed seven games, right? And I said, if the Lakers can go three and four without LeBron, then they can stay in this thing. Well, they've played four games since then, and they're two and two. So they've actually played some pretty decent basketball since he's been out. And Anthony Davis is putting the team on his shoulders and has played very, very well. And they're still, they're still on the outside looking in, but they're that next team out looking in. So if they can continue again to tread water and play around 500 basketball while LeBron is out, I mean, that's all it takes to stay in the playoff race is 500 basketball because you're probably going to have an under 500 team be the 10 seed in the, uh, in the Western Conference. So as long as they can do that, and then maybe it turns out that this rest is exactly what LeBron needs and you have a nice, fresh LeBron coming back in mid to late March, then, then the, the Lakers are, are a live player at least to get into that top 10 and get into the playoff, uh, into the play-in games. Dick, uh, as a Knicks fan, um, you know, this is probably the best run it feels like we've had since Jeremy Lin. Uh, nine straight <laughs> wins, fifth in the East at the moment. How seriously should they be taken by the likes of the Bucks and the Celtics and the 76ers, I guess, in the East? Um, I think I think there's a pretty sizable gap between those teams that you just mentioned in the Knicks, even though in the standings it says the Knicks are only four games behind the, the Sixers. I, I do think there's a, a fairly bold line underneath the 76ers uh, with the top three and the rest of the teams in the, in the Western Conference. But that, can't, that doesn't say that the Knicks can't win, you know, uh, get into the Final Four in the East. I mean, they're, they're absolutely live to be that fourth team. I mean, I think we would all be surprised if the Eastern Conference Finals weren't the Celtics and or the Bucks against the 76ers and then 
the other teams, Celtics or Bucks, that are not playing the 76ers against one of these teams. And the Knicks are one of them. I mean, it's the Cavs, it's the Knicks, it's Brooklyn, it's Miami. I mean, those are the teams you're looking at right now that are going to be that fourth team in the Eastern Conference Finals. And boy, or in the Eastern Conference Semis, rather. And boy, would the NBA not love to have an Eastern Conference semifinals and you get like Milwaukee and the 76ers in one of them and you get Boston against New York and the other one. I mean, that would be the NBA's dream. And uh, I see it started well in Phoenix with Kevin Durant. They've won their first three games since he's been on the floor for them. Yeah, and they're and they're a legit now. They're a legit team that can get to the NBA finals. Um, we needed to see if it was going to work. It looks like it is working. I mean, we don't have a lot of a sample size, but we have enough sample size to know that uh, you know Chris Paul certainly isn't worried about it. He was asked he was asked this week about you know how do you think Kevin Durant's going to fit in? You know how long do you think it'll take to fit in? And Chris Paul just kind of looked at the reporter and said. He's Kevin Durant, man. <laughs> He's, what do you mean? How's he going to fit in? He's Kevin Durant. So I don't think they're too worried about it. But uh, they're a legit threat to the Nuggets, uh, even though they're 10 games behind them in the, uh, in the East. I think there's a, there's a – let me put it this way. There's a lot less gap between the Nuggets and the Suns than there is between, like, the Celtics and the Knicks. Uh, I'll put it that way. Uh, I think the Suns absolutely play the Nuggets and beat them in a seven-game series. And the Grizzlies are kind of a mess right now with this Morant suspension. They've lost two in a row, and even though they're the two seed, you know they're they're not a they're not a scary two seed right now the way they're playing. And the Kings have never been there before. They're a super young team that have never been there before. So you look at a team like the Suns and the Warriors at the four and five spot in the Western Conference, and those two teams are every bit as dangerous as the one seed Nuggets are. Finally, Dick, the Players' Championship, one of the best tournaments ah. of the year, this at Sawgrass. And Aussie Cam Smith's the defending champ. Of course, he can't defend it due to his defection to the Live Tour. He said he might join the galleries as he lives close by, though. That would be interesting. <laughs> uh, but uh, have you got a tip for us? How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I'm staying away from the guy. The, the only guy at the top of the, leader, uh, of the uh, odds board that I would even – look at would be Rory. Um, this is a, a minefield of a tournament. This is not a, this is a tournament where great players go to miss cuts. And uh, that normally doesn't happen. If you're a great player on the PJ tour, you're not going to miss the cut. You're, you're going to finish somewhere in the top 15 or 20. This is one historically where great players favorites have gone there and just, you know, for whatever reason, haven't had it. Rory's probably the only guy that I think maybe is immune to that. So I'm looking down the board a little bit. One of the guys I'm looking at is your old Aussie, not your young Aussie. I'm looking at Jason Day. Jason Day is playing some really good golf right now. He likes this track. He's had very good success there. I think he's a good, uh, he's a good option down there, and I think that's kind of the range. Uh, Keegan Bradley is really like the only American that I really like. All the other ones are, uh, are internationals, Europeans like Victor Hovland and Terrell Hatton. And, uh, and then, you know, Shane Lowry is another guy in that range. And then Jason Davey, Aussie. So this is a, I think this is going to be an international-dominated leaderboard. Thanks so much as always, mate. Let's hope Aaron Rodgers has a team next week, a new team. He perhaps. might by the time we talk next week. I, I have a feeling this might happen fairly quickly. Okay, great stuff. Thank you. Yep. Give us a call, 135353. Send us a text, 0419-767-272. There's two big Champions League games to kick off in about 20 minutes' time. 
Uh, Chelsea are 1-0 down heading to Stamford Bridge this morning against Borussia Dortmund. The market with Tab, the 90-minute market, has Chelsea $1.70 and Dortmund $4.25. The draws $3.90. And in the other tie this morning, Benfica holding a 2-0 lead over Club Bruges. And Benfica are at home here and they're $1.40 favourites with Tab. Uh, Club Bruges $6.50 and the draw is paying $5.00. Uh, just some other news around the traps. In Super Rugby, All Black and Hurricanes captain Adi Savia copped a one-week ban for that throat-slitting gesture uh, against the Melbourne Rebels last Friday night. We spoke about this a bit on Monday. So he's copped a week, which we probably expected in this day and age. Mm. Lots. He apologised, showed a lot of class after it, put his hand up and said he did the wrong thing, but yeah, got a week he, in he the Heat at the moment, and you know, he, he did the wrong thing, and obviously... Uh, he's going to spend a week on the sideline and reflect on what he did. But sometimes you do things that you're not proud of and he is being caught in one of those moments where you know, probably didn't think too much of it at the time. Uh, he's since realised the impact that it's had and uh, he'll spend a week on the sideline. But um, we had Stephen Larkham on from the Brumbies yesterday. That's a great win for them over the weekend against the Blues because the Blues were one of the favourites along with the Crusaders to take out the Super Rugby this year. Um, but to beat New Zealand sides on a consistent basis for an Australian franchise, that will set us up well heading into the Bledisloe and also a World Cup. Yeah, I would have thought they could win at the Brumbies, although they're $13 on the fifth line of betting. Uh, the four, four New Zealand sides, four of the five New Zealand sides there at the top of the betting for Super Rugby this year. Uh, just last night, Wade Graham... Of the Sharks, he copped four weeks, so found guilty four weeks for his hit on Davy Mowali. Uh, so uh, I think for him to play three hundred games in what is possibly his last season, and you know hoping to play three hundred games in his career, he would have to play the rest of the games post his suspension and three finals. Yeah, that's going to be a big ask. Um, Highly unlikely, you would think. How does that affect? How does this affect his career loss? Four games out. Big chance it's his last season. What if somebody comes in, plays great footy, Sharks are winning? Does he get a, does he get a crack? Does oh, he get the yeah, opportunity I think to finish? He does. His... I think Wade does. Yeah, he's he's yeah. He's, he's highly regarded. He's Four games, got, not a lot still, of time. Still though. got a lot to offer for this season and his leadership. He's he's <laughs> don't underestimate the the leadership value that Wade has. Uh, playing a different role, coming off the interchange bench. I can't believe um, he's been given four games for it. Well, three plus yeah. the guilty plea. I, I, I think uh, in today's environment, I, I think that's what we're going to see more of. Jeez, they'd want to be consistent. Yeah. It's going to cause absolute chaos yeah. if there's another incident yeah. and you're not facing the same band. Well, I think, you know, you look at how was we're it that bad? In your opinion, though, was it that bad? Oh, look, uh, look, uh, I, I looked at that tackle and thought it was a good, strong hit. Yeah. Possibly if he was going to get anything one or two weeks. But... Four weeks in today's environment is probably going to be the norm. And I think we've just got to recalibrate ourselves yeah, okay. to thinking that this is what is going to happen now because you can't try and crack down on the field with possible head knocks mm. and then have players go to the judiciary and get off. I just don't know how it's going to work. Well, I think, I think you said, how you said it yesterday. They must. They must have seen something on a different camera angle to what we've been seen. What we've been shown as a fan, though, mm. because it didn't even look like he hit. He, he, he hit his head. Mm. 
Like it looked more shoulder yeah. onto head. I, I think the fact that he's off the ground too can, mm. contributes because when you're taught to tackle, regardless of whether you're tackling low or, or high, um, you've got your feet planted, planted on the ground. Yeah, okay. But when you're off the ground, mm. what, what's the intent? You're launching. Mm. So I think that's why probably Reckless came into play. Uh, the Dolphins just keep firming in the betting for your match against the Raiders on the weekend lots. $2.45 plus four and a half at the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten and a half was the line pre their win against the Roosters on the weekend. The Raiders $1.55 favourites. But Tab's also open a market uh, for the Dolphins match against Brisbane, which uh, highly anticipated round four, Friday, March 24. The Dolphins $3.75 plus 12 and a half start. Uh, the Broncos are twenty-seven. So this rivalry, waiting to see how much it flourishes, and it should. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, they had 30-odd thousand people mm. at Suncorp Stadium on Sunday. When they play the Broncos, it should be a full house, and it will be a full house, mm. or close to it. Um, and the television ratings will be massive because everyone will want to see how the Dolphins go against their arch rivals, the Brisbane Broncos. There's already a little bit of hostility there with the Dolphins stealing a couple of their players for next season, Tom Flegler and Herbie Farnworth. Um, it would be amazing if they could continue to win both these teams. If they won three in a row and then that set up that round four clash, um, that would be something well worth looking at. But the Broncos have got a really good side. The, the Broncos have genuinely got strike power in that back line. They're young, they're exciting. And for me, if they get it right in the forwards, they're backline can blow teams away uh, and they've got the control of Adam Reynolds. Look, very impressed with what the Dolphins did first week, but it was the first game. And we always knew that they were going to come out and give a good performance. Now, whether it was going to be good enough to win or not, I didn't think they would, um, but they did. And they played well and they got better as the, the game went on, but they've got to be able to back it up. And the other thing about the Dolphins is if they get some injuries, what happens then? Yeah, it's a cracking game Friday night, isn't it? That Queensland derby. Brisbane $1.74. The North Queensland Cowboys $2.10. Skinny line of one and a half. Cowboys the plus with Tab for that one. Jackson Hastings spoke yesterday, and of course he plays his former club, uh, the Tigers, at Leichhardt as well for the Knights this weekend, Sunday afternoon. He says he went through a lot of hardship with a lot of uh, people there at uh, the Tigers last year. And that he wore a lot of flack and, well, the team wore a lot of flack off the media and had some dark days as well. So pretty candid uh, there from Jackson Hastings. And, I mean, the Tigers, two matches in a row at Leichhardt. I mean, who's who's the pressure more on in this game? <laughs> Considering, I think, the Tigers at home, I think it might be them. Oh, I think, Tab- well, uh, the pressure's on both. But when you look at whose job's on the line you would think Adam O'Brien. That's true. That's, if, if, if you're looking yeah. at it like that, it's, it's coach on the line. Mm. That That's the story if Newcastle lose this game. The Tigers made coaching changes last year. They've got a new squad. Um, people will tend to give them a bit more time. Whereas with Newcastle, with Adam being there over the last three years, uh, got a different squad this year, they won't be as forgiving. You know, even though they have got some different players. I thought there was a bit to like about Newcastle against the Warriors. I thought they played some good football. It was a shame that Kalen had to leave the field 
because the game was in the balance and we know what Pong is able to do. We've seen him do it a number of times at the highest level, origin. When the game's on the line, he wants the ball and there's not many better players who ices those moments than him. So that was a big blow for Newcastle. You know, they've got a strong forward pack still with Saifides and young Jaden Braley, Frizzell, who got knocked out in that game, uh, didn't participate. So they had some adversity during that contest. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the Tigers uh, at Leichhardt Oval, two games to start the year off with plenty of optimism, that can go south pretty quickly if you lose your first two games. And the Tigers are $1.70 with Tab. Newcastle, $2.15. A lot of really tight markets this weekend. Two and a half is the line. Uh, Newcastle, the plus. Uh, I'll tell you what, ahead of the third test, though, or the fourth test, sorry, tomorrow, Clark, I enjoyed this one. There's been a blue uh, between the State Association and the BCCI over that pitch in indoor, which was given a poor rating. So the local president told the Times of India the local president of the state of where Indoor is, mm-hmm. uh, he said, well, two curators from the BCCI were there for eight to ten days before the match, and it was prepared under their supervision. And his staff essentially had uh, no uh, no role there in the preparation of the pitch. It was all the BCCI. So <laughs> there you go. They're blaming each other, but politics in India... Don't fight the BCCI. Comes, yeah, you're not going to win, eh? No one. No one on the planet is going to win. China, don't fight the BCCI. <laughs> no one's beating them, mate. They're that powerful. If this curator or whoever's talking from indoor wants another test match, I would not be doing an interview and, and having a crack at the BCCI. They're that powerful. We've seen it before. We've seen it before. They will pull a test match from there. They will... You'll have no games. You'll have no money. You'll... Yeah. I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't be taking them on. And uh, well, we spoke earlier about this pitch situation at our Metabad this morning. Just saw a panoramic shop, uh, shot of the stadium on our screens in front of us. Gee, yeah, impressive real. looking stadium, yeah, isn't it? One hundred and thirty-two thousand capacity. Uh, but yeah, two pitches being sort of prepared. <laughs> but you're saying this is par for the course in oh, India, mate. You could see like they have. They got like they could have ten wickets there. Like, to get one, yeah. It's looks different to the others. How green is it? Right, that that yeah, outfield looks like it's being played here in Australia. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It looks like a cracker stadium, so the boys will love that. But, yeah, I, I, the pitch is not It's not going to be – mate, there might be one that's got, like, a little bit more grass or it's a little bit firmer, but it's not going to matter. I, I think, again, this is smart by the curator to give Rohit Sharma and BCCI in India the option. So, here you go, pick whatever pitch you want. I think that's smart, but mate, it's not going to make much difference. It's going to spin. It's, there's going to be nothing for the quicks. And no matter what wicket you get, India do not want their quicks versus our quicks. So it's going to, yeah, it's either going to be an absolute belter in the first two days, or we're going to see what we've seen in the first two test, first three test matches. Adam Pengilly, good morning. Morning, Jared. Morning, boys. And what's going on, Clarky? Preparing two pitches for a test match? You can't do that. Well, <laughs> mate, India. Knows? Yeah, India can do whatever they want, can't they? Yeah, probably. I think, I think they're, they're both going to be, mate. One's either going to be an absolute belter for the first two days, and then it'll spin. Um, the other one's going to turn from ball one. So I think they're just giving Rohit Sharma the, the option. And oh, I understand it. It's like you're saying, Rodio, here you go. 
<laughs> it's up to you. You make a choice. But don't come <laughs> blame us for not producing the pitch that you want. We're giving well, you two options. Well, serious question. Like, how long out do they have to decide that? Are they yeah, deciding I, the, the day before or the morning no, of the game? Or what? Yeah, I don't know. I don't actually know the rule on that. I, I know the boys, you would be allowed, the captain's allowed to see the wicket as soon as you get to the stadium. So whatever day they start training, because mm. a lot of the time, even in, let's say, the Gabba, if you get really hot conditions, they like to leave the covers on during the day. If they've got the pitch ready three days before the test, for example, they'll leave the covers on all throughout the day. So when you're training, you don't get to see the strip, but you can go to the curator and say, can you, like opposition teams can, can as well, can you take the covers off so I can have a look? So you're allowed to do that. So the boys would have seen both wickets, but I don't know when you officially hand the ground over um, to the match referee to be able to say, rightio, this is the, this is the, it'd it have to be. Today, wouldn't it? You'd think it, it's got to be a date a closest day before but I reckon two days before the game starts you'd think yeah. because you need that time to no matter you, if the wicket's dry you got you have to water it at some stage mm. for example mm. uh, you can't you've got to cut the grass off you've got to mow the grass off the pitch for example to get it to a level where you're saying okay it's going to be two mils for, mm. or it's going to be six mils for the entire game so you've got to you've got yeah. to do certain things. You've got to mark the creases. So you'd have to think latest twenty four hours before before the game kicks off. Mm, mm. And did, did I read right as well earlier this week? I heard you guys talking about the crowds in India for the test matches. Um, yeah, on yesterday's program. Did I read right? You have to buy tickets in India for all five days to actually go to a test match. You can't just buy a single day ticket. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. BCCI making their own no, rules. No, I'm, I'm sure I read <laughs> it somewhere go. That, that to go to a test match in India, you can't just buy a ticket for a single day for the first day or the second day or whatever. You have to buy a ticket for all five days. What's a probably, ticket cost over there? Adam, well, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But which is probably explains why those T20 matches are so well so well attended. Yeah, true. And you look at a test match and you think, well, where's where's the crowd? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, they're expecting a hundred thousand here. Eighty-five thousand yeah. though. Uh, with the <laughs> Prime Minister. <laughs> entourage. Cousins. You're talking about entourage. Cousins. He's got the biggest entourage Family. I've ever seen. 85,000. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> Imagine him. Can, mate, can I well, get the a other thing, The other thing they do really well in India, like even for the IPL games, that's why the stadiums are packed. They'll go to, so let's say Mumbai, they'll give tickets to all the school kids in Mumbai, or as many as they'll mm. pick certain schools, and that's why you see... And merchandise. Every kid gets a flag yeah, right. or gets a, a shirt. So they do that really well. So you would imagine here, even if they're not 100,000 sold tickets, there'll be 100,000 people in the crowd. Mm. All right. Some racing, uh, Adam. And the last chance saloon for the two-year-olds heading towards the slipper this week was just going through the honour rolls of the Pango Pengo and the Magic Knight. I guess some more notable winners probably out of the Phillies, really. I mean, Kiyomichi was the one who sort of bucked the trend, wasn't she? But what, back in 20, uh, 2019 when she won and then went on to win the slipper the following week. But she's extreme, won last year. Of course, she went on by the end of the year to win an Oaks. Yeah, that's right, Jared. And James Cummings is an interesting one for me because he's nominated a number of his two-year-olds for the, the, for the Pango Pango and the Magic Knight this week, trying to... I suppose, give them top-up runs. Because we know that Barber, Zolfakar, Exploring, they're already safely into the gold slipper field as it stands at the moment. But he's got them nominated for these, I suppose, last-chance uh, saloon two-year-old races on the weekend. And you are right about Kiyomichi. She was the one that was the last one to, to race a week before the slipper and come back the week after and, and win the golden slipper. I suppose that year was a bit of a funny year. It was a really horribly wet track in 2019. And she just settled on speed and just had the, the fitness on her side and just ran them into the ground, basically, 
I'm going to say we're not going to see something similar this year, obviously, with this dry spell of weather we've got in Sydney at the moment. But the two horses, I suppose, I'm looking at on the weekend that really need to, to win their way into the Super are Shinzo in the Colts and Geldings. Obviously, Chris Wallace had a big opinion of this horse all the way through. A couple of really nice runs to kick off his career, but he, he just has to win this week to try and get into the slipper. And in the Magic Night, Blanc de Blanc for Michael Friedman's a horse has had no luck so far in her career. She's had a couple of really nice runs facing the breeze and been close up to the winners, but unfortunately hasn't been able to get enough prize money to get into the slipper. So she's going to go off, I imagine, hard in the mark in that Magic Night, and she needs to win as well. So... I suppose if one of those two horses can, can run well and, and, and do something there on the weekend, then I, I say they're a chance heading towards the Golden Slipper, but obviously they're down to their last their last roll of the dice at the moment. What's the plan for Fangirl heading forward, Adam? Yeah, Lodz, this was an interesting one for me. Chris Waller announced yesterday or late last night on, on social media that she won't be running in the All-Star Mile on Saturday week. She was obviously one of the top 10 vote-getters as it stands, and... I, I like the concept of, of putting these field out to a fan vote, but we've seen the last few years that just a lot of these horses are connections. They get voted into the race and then don't want to run because there's so many other options available. So Chris Wallace announced that she'll be heading towards the George Ryder on Saturday week at Rose Hill on Slipper Day, which obviously held on the same day as the, the All-Star Mile. And Connections have got every right to choose what's the most suitable race for their horse. But I suppose if you're an organiser from Racing Victoria, I suppose it doesn't reflect too well on the race that connections at a $5 million race and not wanting to run there. So we'll see Fangirl in Sydney. Other bit of news to come out of that race uh, yesterday is that Annabelle Nation is trying to get Oisheen Murphy down here to ride Laws of Indices in the race. He's a superstar jockey overseas in, in Europe. He had that little stint down here in Australia going back a few years ago, which probably helped kick off his career in a, in a lot of respects, but he's gone from strength to strength overseas. So He's waiting for a visa approval to come back down to, to ride that horse. And obviously, some really good news for Annabelle Nisham as well that my Oberon's got that last wildcard spot now that um, Fangirl's out of the race. Uh, now, Ethan Brown, what's the latest with him after that awful fall in the Australian Guineas on Saturday at Flemington? Yeah, some really good news, Jared. He had some further surgery on Monday afternoon into Monday night, and the Victorian Jockeys Association reported yesterday that the surgery was successful. I think it was basically the third round of surgery he's had since that fall on Saturday afternoon, and he's starting to communicate with his family and friends in a very limited manner. So that's just really positive signs for Ethan. Um, obviously, those internal injuries and internal bleeding and the, the problems with his liver and kidney were a huge concern after that fall. So thankfully, he's been able to have some surgery relatively quickly in the first 24 to 48 hours after that fall. And let's hope he's on the mend. And if he's on the mend, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's going down that path at the moment, it's going to be a very long recovery process. I'd imagine he'll be out of the saddle and, and working through his rehab for months and months and months. But thankfully, the injuries were not worse from what we saw in that fall on the Australian Guineas on Saturday. Do you like anything at Kensington today? Yeah, a little bit of value, I thought, Loz, in the, in the two-year-old Phillies race. Race three, number one, Gold Lover, did a really good job, I thought, on debut at Hawkesbury there for Terry Croft. And when Ona Costum comes to town to take the ride, there's a whole lot of unraced Phillies and unexposed Phillies in this race. And I'm just hoping with a little bit of experience uh, at the racetrack and a bit of ring craft, I suppose, from her first run at Hawkesbury. And the form stood up well behind Stanislas, but she might be able to run a bit of a cheeky race at odds. So that's race three, number one, Gold Lover, the best value on the program. $11 the win, two ninety the place with Tab. Oh, I meant to ask you as well, uh, King's Gambit's trial yesterday. I saw Lukey Marlow... Uh, Right on Twitter, he giving it a, a real rap. Said visually outstanding against mostly unraced horses in the trial, but it, um, yeah, ridden cold. It explodes, explodes to win a trial there at Royal Randwick yesterday morning. How good was it? Yeah, he was good, Jared. For me, 
like he's still the sleeper in the golden slipper at the moment. Like we, we saw what he did a, on a debut down there at Caulfield last year. And then to me, I reckon the Snowdens have just tried to give him a couple of educational runs up here in Sydney, settling off the speed, trying to get him to, to flatten out and really hit the line. And he's probably been a little bit disappointing from a market expectation point of view, but I tell you what, there's just a bit of sense of timing about him. When the form around, you know, obviously red resistance looks really good. The form around cylinder looks really good. He's only beaten less than a length by a cylinder in the silver slipper. And we're talking about him being the, the Golden Slipper favourite at the moment. So I'm not writing off King's Gambit at the moment. I thought his trial there yesterday was really good. I think the Snowdens will have him cherry ripe for Slipper Day on, on Saturday week. Have a good day, mate. See you, boys.